Welcome to episode number 62 of Peak Curiosity. My name is Abigail Carlson. Whether you've listened to my podcast for a while or whether this is your first time, here's a quick rundown of what this podcast is about. I'm young, I just turned 25, and I really like learning from other people and their worldviews. I hardly ever debate or push back on my guests. Rather, I converse with them to try to fully understand how they think. For this episode in particular, I'm giving a foreword, which is not generally how I roll. A couple weeks ago, I sat down with Rabbi Manis Friedman. He has a YouTube channel that focuses on relationships from an Orthodox Jew perspective. We talked about heaven and hell, who God is, what he wants from us, and what is the soul. Although I'm very appreciative of Rabbi Manis for spending an evening with me, I have to say I was thoroughly disappointed in the conclusions he has come to. It's utterly devoid of hope. Toward the end, I say something about how this conversation made me have to think about things. I need to clarify that statement here. It made me think, but in no way do I agree or endorse anything that this guy said. In fact, it made me think about Jesus and to quote Solomon here. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I would really appreciate your feedback and thoughts on this episode. One thing I noticed as he talked, many New Testament verses popped into my head about Jesus and the new heaven and new earth. If you're interested in sharing your thoughts about this episode or any others, email me at peakcuriositypod at gmail.com. I'll have a link in the show notes so it will be easy for you to grab that address. I shall not delay any further. Good luck. So, would you mind giving my listeners an introduction to who you are? Um, I was educated in the Chabad, Jewish philosophical teachings. Uh, I live in Brooklyn right now. I lived in Minnesota for 50 years, 50 winters, as we call it. (laughs) And... um, I've been teaching for uh, about 65 years and uh, sharing the uh, Hasidic approach to life, to religion, to the Bible, to God. And it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's... um, on, on YouTube, over 150,000 subscribers, mostly not Jewish. And um, if it's that popular, how, you know, how, how can you, how can you be so cruel as to keep it to yourself? For sure, for sure. So what exactly is the main subject of your YouTube channel? The main subject really is relationships, beginning with relationship to God and carrying over into human relationships and particularly marriage. Mm -hmm. Because without that, we pretty much have nothing. It's become very popular, and this is such good news, 
it has become very popular for people to ask and want to know, why am I here? And it's not an idle question. It's not even a philosophical question. It's a visceral question. People who can't figure out why we're alive don't want to be alive. It's dangerous. Because the old, the old approach just doesn't work anymore. See, the old approach was everything we do, we do because we need to. You need to get a job. You need to have money. You need to have food. You need to have a house. Why? Well, without that, you're going to die or suffer or suffer and then die. <laughs> and that worked. For as long as anybody can remember, that worked. The farmers got up early in the morning and they went to do their job and they worked hard because you got to put the food away for the winter or you're going to die. The hunters went hunting because if not, you're going to die. It's not working anymore. You see, people suddenly woke up, and this is very recent. People suddenly woke up and said, you know, it doesn't make any sense to live in order to not die. <laughs> that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. People don't want to do that. So when you tell people you have to do this or you're going to die, it's like, what's your point? Yeah. So now all of a sudden, God and the Bible have become almost our last hope. Because there is no other... There is no other source. If you really want to know why you exist, nobody else offers even a hint of an answer to that question. Everyone has always studied and perfected the art of living. No one ever figured out why. Why? Everybody can tell you how to have a better life no one tells you why to live in the first place. No one. And religion has been a big failure. Let's see. You should uh, behave yourself and you should try really hard to do the right thing so that you can die and go to heaven. Really? Is that, is that why I'm here so that I can get out of here? I'm born to suffer unless I don't suffer and then I die and it's okay. I don't understand what's going on here. What's a, what is the point of all this? I was born against my will. I didn't do anything. But I'm going to suffer unless somebody saves me. And if somebody saves me, then I won't suffer. Why was I born? Can anybody answer that question? Nope. What's your answer? Well, 
It's the Bible's answer. The Bible's answer is, it is not good for man to be alone. Why is it not good for man to be alone? Well, we go crazy for one. <laughs> Why? Why are we not self-sufficient? Well, I had always thought that there's something really helpful about communication that helps keep your own thoughts in order. I think if you're just by yourself and you're thinking the same thing on like a tape that you can, you kind of can lose where the reality is. But being in communication with other people helps, helps you say, okay, that is kind of a dumb thought. I can push it aside or no, this is a good one that I'm on the right track. That's my first instinct. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's sensible. But then you hear people, <laughs> you hear people constantly demanding, leave me alone. <laughs> yes. Sounds like it's pretty good to be alone. Now, seriously, did God say when he created human beings, did he say it's not good if man doesn't eat, so I got to make him some food? Did he say it's not good for man doesn't sleep, I'll make him a bed? It's not good for man uh, to be exposed to the weather, so I'll make him a tent? If it's not good, we'll figure it out ourselves. Why did God have to say it is not good for man to be alone? It's because God created the world. to not be alone. The only thing missing, obviously God is perfect, the only thing that was missing is that he was alone. And you're going to wonder, so? <laughs> He's God. He's perfect. What's wrong with his being alone? Not like he can't do his own laundry. He's self-sufficient. So God tells us, I'm going to create you in my image. I don't want to be alone. You're not going to want to be alone. Why? Because it's not good. Not, not impractical. Not even impossible. It's not good. There's no goodness to being self-sufficient. It's a talent. It's impressive even. But what's the goodness? So why are we here? We are here because God wants a relationship. Why? Because that's godly. If you were God, you would want a relationship. If you were unholy, you would not want a relationship. So the fact that human beings thrive on relationships and suffer when there's no none, that's the godly part in us, not the greedy part. And that's why relationships are so important. And that's why when they're good, they're wonderful. And when they're not good, they're terrible. 
because it's the reason, it's the purpose. In, in simple language, God created the world because he needed it. Now, that doesn't sound very much like God to most people. God isn't needy. We're needy. And God is here to help us. But really, once you think about that, I have needs and God is here to help me. How did I get these needs? And what does it mean that I'm the needy one, God is here to help me. So I'm the center of the universe? That's not good. That can't be. No, we are here to help God. And that brings us to another um, surprising conclusion. The goal and the objective is not for human beings to get to heaven. If God created the world the way it is, there must be something about this world that is precious to him. The objective is not for us to get to heaven. The objective is to bring God down to earth. Why? Because that's where God wants to be. So for us, yeah, it's probably better to be in heaven. But we're not here for us. We're here because our Creator wants to be on earth, and it's our job to bring him down to earth, or to prepare the earth for him, so that it's his kind of earth, a godly kind of earth. And then the earth will be much holier than heaven because it gives God more pleasure to be on earth than to be in heaven, which makes sense because he's been in heaven like forever. <laughs> so in one sentence, I am here to serve him. He is not here to serve me. How do we make this world godly? Well, that's what the whole Bible is all about. God came down to Mount Sinai and laid it out clearly. If it's my kind of world, there would be no killing. If it's my kind of world, then there is no stealing. If it's my kind of world, there's no committing adultery. You honor your parents. You respect each other. You feed the poor. That's my kind of world. Can we do it? Of course we can do it. Individually, no. <laughs> Individually, I'm, I'm too lazy. I'm too small. And I mess up too much. But collectively, if we got serious, we could change the world overnight. especially when you have an internet. <laughs> when we can be doing this, where are you, for example? Where, where are you? I'm in Idaho. You're in Idaho? Yeah, where are you? 
I'm in Brooklyn. Nice. Makes no difference, does it? Nope. You might as well, you know, you just easily could have been around the corner. Mm -hmm. So this gift is definitely messianic. In order to complete our job, which has been going on for like 3,334 years since the Ten Commandments were given, it's time to complete the job. And to do that, we need an internet. We need to have a universal language that we can all share, that we can all uh, cooperate with each other so that the world really does become divine, exactly the way God wants it. This is bringing up a lot of questions. Um, I'm sure it is. <laughs> yes. How about, first of all, can you give me maybe a couple foundational, um, I mean, in the, the Christian word is doctrines, but like beliefs for, uh, for you and do you go by Orthodox Jews? How do you want me to address your specific belief? By, by the Torah. So most people have not read through the Old Testament. I think that's a fair statement to make. But there are parts of the, of the Torah that people are familiar with, like the first words. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. What does that tell you right there? I mean, there's a reason for those words. God, who has no weaknesses, no dependencies, who is eternal, who exists forever and can't exist any better, created heaven and earth. Well, the first obvious question is, if I were God, I wouldn't bother. I'm, I'm, in, I'm the only thing in existence, and it is so perfect. Why mess it up with a world? Why create anything at all? Second question, God created heaven and then earth. Well, once he created heaven, why wasn't he content? Isn't that what he wants? Isn't that what it's all about? No, he creates heaven. Not good enough. He continues to create earth. And if anybody is paying attention, they would notice that the rest of the Bible is about earth and heaven is not mentioned. <laughs> right? The Ten Commandments are not about heaven. They're about earth. And even the reward, honor your father and mother so that you will live long in the land that I will give you, not go to heaven. So where did this notion about going to heaven come from? It's not anywhere in the Bible. Of course, what happens when a person dies? Yes, the soul goes to heaven. 
But then he's dead. Not very useful anymore. So there's no point in talking about that. The Bible is all about being useful. And you're useful when you're on earth. Because here you can obey the commandments and make the world godly. In heaven, you are basically retired. So, if you need textual um, support, it's everywhere, everywhere. Every word in the Bible says, please make the world godly for me, for me, for God. Don't do certain things. They're an abomination to me. You're going to enjoy it, but I don't. So, really, it, it doesn't even need a particular quote. It's the entire book. It's the whole thing. So what is the Messiah? You know, if we try really hard to follow the commandments and do the right thing, the world will become godly. That's, that's the name of the game. Well, is, is it becoming godly? Are we getting anywhere at all? Will we ever get there or is this a failed project? God underestimated how evil we are. And it's just never going to happen. That's not possible. The world is becoming godly by the minute. When are we going to see the results of all the goodness, of all the sacrifices, of all the efforts that we've made to be as good as we can be? When will we see the results of those efforts? With the coming of the Messiah. So, it's not like we're just going to sit around wasting time, messing up, but somebody's going to come and make everything right. Come on. That's a fairy tale. We're not sitting around doing nothing. We've tried our best for thousands of years. Yeah, we've messed up. Big time. And the mess up is glaring. But what about all the goodness that goes on all the time, day by day, minute by minute? Not heroic. Not, not earth-shattering things. Just the daily constant goodness of people doing the right thing by each other, by God, by animals. Doesn't that count for anything? It does. And accumulative, all the years of all that goodness, which never goes away, has reached the tipping point. So we bring the Messiah. We don't just sit and wait. And from all the, all the signs, it seems like we're getting very close to the tipping point. We just might be ready.
for the world to really become as a result of all the thousands of years of goodness. The world is ready to become a dwelling place for God, where God can be proud of his creation, proud of his world, and comfortable living with us, not without us. Sounds too simple? <laughs> the truth is always simple. So, I mean, okay, I'm 25, so I have a lot of experience with the world. Um, but it, see, it doesn't seem like the world's getting better. So what are you seeing that is telling you that you think it's getting better? How are we supposed to know? How can you tell whether the world is getting better or not? We rely on the news. Can't rely on the news. <laughs> the news is getting worse. People are becoming better. <laughs> so it's definitely fake news. And fake news really is not a criticism. What do you want news to be? What would you like to see in the headlines? Neighbor helps his neighbor. I mean, come on. That's not news. So by very definition, news has to be the unusual, the strange, the exceptional. Otherwise, it's not news. So every time they report a murder, that's because murder is the exception. You know, you have 200 million people or something like that in a country and there are 5,000 murders. They're the exception, but they're always in the news. So you can't judge by the news. You got to look around in your world and see, are people a little more thoughtful today? as a result of Corona? Are people a little more tolerant, a little more flexible, a little more forgiving because, you know, we're having a hard time. Corona is devastating. So we're a little more empathetic. I think we've become better people just in the last two years. That's what I see. Is it in the news? No, no, it's not in the news. And then another thing, when you talk about the world getting better, it doesn't mean healthier. Corona is not our making or doing any illness. That's not how you measure whether the world is making progress. If there's a natural disaster, a tsunami, that doesn't mean the world is getting worse. If you want to know whether the world is getting better, you look at whether there's more morality. That's, that's the definition of better. Are people more moral today than they were? Yes. Yes. Pe people are more modest. 
the billboards, the advertisements, they're not as vulgar as they used to be. And nobody went out campaigning. Nobody went on a crusade about it. But you compare the advertisements and all the magazines and all the billboards and all the... Compare it to, to 15 years ago. It, it's much more decent. So yes, we are getting better. Are there still aches and pains? Are there still tragedies? Yes. But we're not here to stop tragedies. We're here to stop immorality. And we're doing a pretty good job. The fact that we're not perfect? Well, you know, we didn't create ourselves and God created us imperfect, just human, not angels. So you can't hold that against us. You can't accuse me of being human. <laughs> the only thing that is up to me is whether I'm a good human or a rotten human. So is the world getting better? It's gotten a lot better. So the goal for you is to live a good life here for for the purpose of of honoring God. Partnering, let's put it very oh, partner. explicitly. Okay. Part partnering with God in making the world he created his kind of world. So, I mean, this is just so different than everything I've been brought up in. So I'm going to ask some very elementary questions by your standards, I'm sure. Um, but you did mention that you do believe in a heaven. Is that like the same as an afterlife? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And how does one get there? You die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why I don't find it too exciting. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, if I have to die to get there, then no thanks. <laughs> and what do you think is going to be there? We are composed of a body and a soul. Um, that combination, the body in the soul, has a certain time limit. Like before the flood, you could live to be 970 years old. After the flood, 120 maximum. A little later in history, 70, 80 became the norm. Right? So we have about 80 years in which the body and soul are together. At the end of that time, the body and soul separate. So where do they go? The body goes back to the earth from which it came. The soul goes back to the world of souls from which it came. So now the soul is a soul without a body, and the body is a body without a soul. The place where souls exist is called heaven. So when it leaves the body, it goes to the world of souls. 
which is very nice. It's comfortable. It's simple. There's no evil. There's no. There's no pain. There's no. There's no. Um, there's no unholiness there. But not much changes. When the soul comes into a body, the soul can use the body to make the physical world godly. So we would much rather stay on earth and continue doing God's work for him rather than die and go to heaven where it's nice, comfortable, and safe, but you're retired. Now, when the soul leaves the body, it's pretty traumatic for the soul. The body, of course, is not, isn't feeling anything anymore. But for the soul, it's traumatic because the soul was so dedicated to uh, keeping the body alive that that sudden change takes a lot of readjusting. So that painful readjustment of going back to being just a soul without a body, uh, that's hell. So hell, hell is the adjustment that the soul has to make when it's no longer in a body. Once it makes that adjustment, then it's in heaven with all the other souls, uh, like, like a soul should be. So, hell is a process, not a destination. And the process is successful. You go through the adjustment and you get to heaven. So getting to heaven can be hell. <laughs> so everyone has to make the adjustment. Only there are degrees. If you are very attached to your body and, and to the pleasures of this world, it's going to be a painful adjustment. If you weren't that attached, if you weren't that excited about the earthly pleasures, then it's an easier adjustment. So for a child, for example, no problem. Never got terribly attached to the physical world. So being without a body feels perfectly natural and maybe a week of adjustment and it's done. But the glutton, the hedonist, he can't get over the fact that he no longer has a body. So it takes a year. But that's what heaven and hell are. It's not, it's not God being vengeful and making you suffer for your sins. You suffer through an adjustment depending on how, how earthbound you've become in the years that you've been living. Actually, eternal damnation is a nasty idea. 
it implies that the evil that you created is so off so awesome that it can last forever and therefore you have to suffer forever evil cannot last forever only god is forever evil is temporary so eternal damnation is not a godly idea are there souls that will never get to heaven yes they simply won't get to heaven but suffer no if you suffer there's a reason there's a purpose and there's a benefit to suffer with no benefit that doesn't sound that doesn't sound moral it doesn't sound godly and it makes evil eternal which is another god can't have two gods so what's eternal you'll never get to heaven you can't get fixed to get to heaven so you're not fixed so you simply lose your portion in the world to come and that can be forever intuitively that sounds correct so <clears throat> let's see i'm trying to wrap my brain around this is the 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 going into heaven that adjustment period that you're describing is that mostly in the hands of the soul to allow that adjustment to happen or is god going to impose any of his goodness to help you in that adjustment well the very fact that god uh, uh, that god makes heaven available to the soul is a kindness but if you're going to enter you got to drop some of your unholy memories and leave them at the door <laughs> so if you're going to enter heaven don't drag your earthiness with you but let's look at it the opposite if you're going to be on earth you're going to be alive do bring some of the godliness of your soul with you, you see so when you're being earthy absolutely introduce some godliness into your earthy life but when you're going into heaven don't bring any earthiness it doesn't belong so how do you stop the memories or the feelings of being a body of being earthy it takes time you have to you are a soul so you know how to be a soul you just got a little distracted there with the body for a couple of years 80 90 so you got to relearn you know it's like you haven't ridden you haven't been on a bicycle for a long time you know how to ride a bike 
but you got to stop being afraid of falling and you got to get your balance back and then you can ride. So the soul has to find its balance, has to let go of its uh, earthy memories so that it can just be a soul without distraction. But that that's it's all beside the point. Because being a soul is not the purpose of creation. So it's almost like we all started off being souls. The souls came down into a body. Being in a body means you're born in sin and you can mess up. But if you repent or if you're saved, then you can go back to being a soul. So what was that all about? You said, right, I ended up right back where I was. What's the purpose? That's why the main, the main uh, surprise of the whole thing is, I am here to serve God. I don't need any of this. So yes, I'll go to heaven eventually. Not that I need to. I could have just stayed in heaven. I would have been just as happy. But then God wouldn't have what he wants. So this whole thing is really about him. It's for him, not for me, not about me. And that's why people today, since we're getting so close to, to the finishing line, people today are very uncomfortable with life. Because I don't need this. I don't need it. So don't threaten me that if I don't behave myself, I'll die. I really don't care anymore. I'm not suicidal. I just am not impressed with life. So unless life has a really good purpose, I'm not, I'm not hung up on it. So threatening, punishment, suffering, hell, it's not working. Remember Mrs. Reagan, President Reagan's wife, went on a campaign to get teenagers to not use drugs. And the slogan was, just say no. Mm -hmm. And most teenagers said, why? Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, because it'll kill you. And they said, so, what's your point? <laughs> That's true. And that's why it is so inspiring to people today when they find out that I don't need it. You're right. Even children are saying, I didn't ask to be born. Ah, you're right. You're catching on. <laughs> but if you didn't ask to be born, then why were you born? If you don't need to be here, who needs you to be here? Obviously, your creator. And then another very uh, compelling thought. If God creates the entire universe, what do you mean he doesn't need anything? Who creates a universe and needs nothing? That really doesn't make any sense. 
So if anybody is in need, it's the Creator. Do you believe in a resurrection that will reunite the body and soul? Absolutely. Because the body did the main job of making this world godly. How could it not be rewarded? Yeah, we talk about the soul being rewarded, but every good deed ever performed was with a body. You can't feed the poor without a body. You can't honor your parents without a body. So when will the body get its reward? Well, there's got to be a resurrection of the body. So yes, that is the ultimate objective. Souls in heaven are waiting to come back to their bodies. Because that's where the action is. So we're trying to prepare the world for a place that God is willing to join us. Is Does this have anything to do with the Messiah? Or is that the Christian notion? Or is God coming to earth part of the Messiah um, thing? The world will be uh, welcoming to God when we collectively, all of us, every human being ever created into the world, makes their contribution to making the world godly. And then the Messiah comes to kind of put the finishing touches on our accomplishments and teaches us how to live in a world without evil. Because we're so used to the struggle to be good. What's going to happen when it's not a struggle anymore? When it's just plain good? Well, we're going to have to rethink a lot of things and get inspired by the goodness, not by the threat of evil. That's what Messiah is primarily a teacher, not a savior. The saving comes from our own good deeds. But then we, when we get there, we're not going to know how to live. Like what? No more problems? Now what? Now what? What's going to get me out of bed in the morning? So the Messiah is a great teacher who will teach the entire world so that there is one moral code for everyone so that thou shalt not murder is accepted by everyone without exception. Not that no one will be tempted, but everybody will agree. Murder is out. No exceptions. We don't kill the infidel. We don't kill to convert people to our religion. We don't kill because uh, we want control. No, there is no killing and no exception. Then we have a godly world. But then if nobody's going to kill anybody, what are, what are we going to make movies about? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what we need Mashiach for, you see. All our novels, all our books, all our movies, all it's all going to have to be without violence. Somebody's going to have to teach us how to do that. So you see what I'm basically saying? There are no miracles. There is nothing extraordinary. It's a plan. It's a project. We've been working on it. We're getting there. We will get there and it will be good. It's not wishful thinking. It's hard work. But we've been doing it. So should we be living every day with the goal of, of keeping the Ten Commandments? Would that be a good place to start? Yeah, at least. But, but some of the Ten Commandments, let's clarify this for people. Some of the Ten Commandments are only for Jews. You see, the, 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 the Ten Commandments were introduced by the words, I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. So it only applies to people who God took out of Egypt. For example, the Sabbath. That's for Jews. The seven Noahide laws, that's for everybody. Before God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people, he first gave seven commandments to the children of Noah. So there are the children of Israel who received the Ten Commandments. There are the children of Noah who received seven commandments. Who are these children of Noah? Everybody. <laughs> hmm. Right? And, yeah. They're all descendants of Noah. So we were given seven commandments, not to worship idols, not to be blasphemous, not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to be cruel to animals, and to have courts of law. Anyone who abides by these seven commandments is a righteous person. No mystery. No guessing. If you're doing it, you're righteous. If you're not doing it, do it. Hmm. Now, God said, I need a people to be the priests of the world, to do more, to, to set the tone, to carry the message. So he chose the, Jew the Jewish people and said, I'll give you the responsibility to represent me to the world, to share what I teach you, and to take responsibility for the plan of making earth godly, I give you the responsibility to make that happen. And it's not going to be easy. And so our history has been impossible. 
but God never fails. So he knows, he knows how hard it's going to be, but he also knows that it's going to work. So as much as Jews have suffered, Jews have always been there and still are. What is our job? Our job is to remind everybody that we are here to serve him. Let's not create religions. Let's not make up stuff. Let's just do what he asks, because that's why he created the world. And by the way, psychologically, it is the healthiest thing in the world. When a child says, I didn't ask to be born, this kid is onto something. He's not depressed. He's smart. It's true. We don't ask to be born because we don't need to. What a relief. I don't need. I don't need to survive. I don't need to do well. I don't need to succeed. I really don't. In fact, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Oh, God needs me. Hey, come on, that's a party. So I have no problems, but I can help God with his? Do you see what a relief that is? So here's how you sum it up. Human beings are not needy. Stop beating us up. Don't tell me how weak I am and how dependent I am and how I can't do anything without God and he better help me or I'm going to suffer. Don't do that to me. I don't need this. <laughs> if I was never born, I would never complain. So I am not needy. In fact, I am needed. That is heavenly. No need, but needed. So I have no problems, but I can accomplish divine purpose. Oh man, that is life. I like this life. I am here to serve his need because I have none. That is so healthy. If we all understood this correctly, we would never get depressed. We would always be thrilled that at any moment, any time, there is something I can do for God that he really needs. Life's a party. So God is not here to save me from myself. That's a pretty depressing picture. And, and it really doesn't, doesn't really make sense because save me from myself? Who, who got me into trouble? How did I end up in this mess? Why do I need to be saved? Who did this to me? Well, God. Oh, God messes me up and then offers to save me? I don't understand what's going on.
I am not messed up. I don't need to be saved. But I can serve God's needs. Now tell me if that's not divine. So the Bible is not bad news. The way, we, the way we look at the Bible, it's bad news. You're in trouble, you're messed up, you're going to suffer, but there's a, a glimmer of hope. That's it. That didn't take five books. <laughs> that, that should be a little pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Now, life is great. So here's, here's the sum, summation of the whole thing. You can either feel needy and focus on how needy you are, or you can be needed and focus how needed you are. To serve God, you have to feel needed. When you feel needy, you're just serving yourself. And it just leads to depression. Don't be needy, it's depressing. But be needed, it's exhilarating. That rings true even if you're just talking of human-to-human -human relationships. That's why relationships is the key word to everything. What is our relationship with God? What is our relationship with, with each other? Why do we need each other? Why don't you just leave me alone? Because I'm not here to be me. I'm here to serve a divine purpose. So please don't leave me alone because I can't finish the project by myself. If you're not doing what God needs from you, the whole world is imperfect. God didn't create an unnecessary human being. Not one. Ever. So if we can't get the whole world to do their share, then, then none of us is successful. We have not given God the world he needs. So I can't be left alone. We're completely and thoroughly interdependent. So yes, Jews have 613 commandments. Um, all human beings have approximately 200 commandments. But if we don't all do what we're supposed to do, none of us will be successful. So it's either all or nothing. So we are very interdependent. Hmm. I think that's good news, no? I don't know. I don't know how many people I can trust. 
You don't have to trust, you have to inspire. Get every person you meet to do something good. Then he's a contributor. So we should assume that every person who is alive still has some contribution to make. Inspire them to make the contribution. Do the good you're capable of doing. That's it. It's not an impossible task. Well, you have given me a lot to think about. Uh, we've been talking about an hour. Would you like to wrap up or should I ask a couple of my other questions first? Oops, sorry, I clicked something. Ask a few more questions. I'm fascinated to hear them. Okay. Um, I think let's go to some of the Levitical commandments that I had some questions about. Um, one of my number one questions, every time I've read Leviticus, this just jumps out, is if a woman gives birth to a male, she's unclean for 33 days. But if it's a female, she's to be unclean for 66 days. Why do you think that is? Well, first, tell me what unclean means. <laughs> well, if you take a shower, why is she still unclean? Right. Uh, my understanding would be it would like ceremonially to be able to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. It could also mean um, suffering from anticlimax. You know, you're excited for nine months and you're looking forward and you're going to have this baby and then there's the big event and then the baby is born and then it's like, what, back to normal? That, that's the uncleanliness. Again, a readjustment. Here you were giving life and all of a sudden you're not giving life. It's done. So if you give birth to a little boy, your anti-climax feeling is much shorter than if you give birth to a little girl. Because when you give birth to a little girl, you're giving birth to someone who is going to give birth. So it's like a double loss. It was such a huge project and now it's over. So in a sense, the Torah was talking about a postpartum depression. Hmm. How does a woman bounce back after giving birth? So after giving birth to a little boy, it doesn't take as long to bounce back as when you give birth to a little girl. That's very interesting. Yeah, because otherwise I don't understand what unclean means. The English doesn't exactly, yeah, you know, translation. There's always something lost. <laughs> So in the Hebrew, is it always the same word, unclean, or an equivalent, as it is translated into English? 
or are there different words? Well, clean and unclean uh, in, the, in the Bible has to do with life and death. Like the most unclean thing in the world is a dead body. No matter how, much, how many times you wash it. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with physical cleanliness. It has to do with fully alive or not fully alive. So what's a depression? A little loss of life. You're not completely alive. That's called unclean. Hmm. Clean means the channels of life are open and you're enthusiastic about life. Unclean means your channels are blocked. You know, in, in Chinese medicine, your meridians, they're not clear. The channels are not clear. So it's unclean, impure. There's blockage. That's a depression. Hmm. Okay, let's try this one. Oh, just a quick side note. In your Bible, is are the books broken up into chapters and verses also? Yeah, okay. So in Leviticus 19.19, 19, it says, You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your seed or, or two with two kinds of seeds and you sh should not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material what's going on there we're not allowed to crossbreed not animals and not plants so creating hybrids is forbidden for jews not for everybody. In other words, uh, God created breeds for a reason. Don't mix them. Keep them, keep them in their original state. But others are allowed, and when others do crossbreed, like producing a mule, It's perfectly okay and usable and permitted, but we're not supposed to produce mules. Hmm. Leave a donkey being a donkey and a horse being a horse. And in the um, in the vegetable world, don't don't uh, don't plant wheat and grapes side by side. They're different breeds, leave them that way. Hmm. What, what might be the purpose? I don't know. It's just, you know, it's like a no amber law. <laughs> that, which is certain fair. things are supposed to improve on nature and some things just don't tamper with nature. Makes sense to me. Okay, this is a fun one. I'm sure you've gotten this one a lot. You shall not make any cuts on your body or tattoo yourselves. The body, that's another good example. 
body is created exactly the way God needs it to be. And he never allows us to mutilate the body or tamper with it. Give it back in the best condition you can. <laughs> so you can use your body for 80 years, but try not to leave any wounds. Hmm. Also, people used to tattoo their bodies out of grief. For every loss in their grief, they would scar themselves or, I don't know, kind of a form of letting out their pain, their grief. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that was, was uh, burning designs into the body. It wasn't done for beauty. It was done out of grief. Hmm. And God says, don't, that's not how to grieve. Don't do that. <laughs> don't blame the body. Don't punish the body. So there are people, you know, who, when they're feeling really, really depressed, they cut themselves as if that's going to solve their problems. And God says, no, that's not going to solve your problems. It's going to leave you with scars. So find a better way to express your grief. That makes sense. Okay, this one is a little different. This is going to be a little bit more of your opinion. Um, I was reading in chapter 20, and there's a five-chunk section talking about not sacrificing your children to Molech, which is pretty brutal stuff. I also agree that they should not have done that. Do you think that modern abortion is a variation of Molech worship, or is it something completely different? It's different, and it's in a sense worse. It's not even a form of worship. It's just a convenience killing. There's, there's less, I mean, it's never justified, but there is less justification for abortion than for ritual slaughtering. I mean, ritual slaughtering is horrible enough, right? Especially that version. Yeah. So, yeah, abortion is a completely different thing. It's simply a form of killing for selfish reasons. Hmm. But sometimes it seems like if the mother doesn't have an abortion, she's going to destroy herself. So it's not selfish. It's survival. So when the pregnancy literally threatens the mother's life, then an abortion is justified. Then it makes perfect sense. The mother's life should come before the child's life because the child's life is not yet established. The mother's life is established. So if it's a contest between the mother and the fetus, you take the side of the mother. But when there's no danger, 
It's just a matter of convenience. You know, I'm not ready to have this baby, whatever that means. And there's no... Hmm. All right. Well, those are my questions on the commandments. I have a couple more that I ask all of my guests. You can take as much time as you feel these warrant, or you can just brush them off. Uh, but my first one is Genesis chapter 1 through 11, history or mythology? Absolute fact. And there is no reason to doubt it. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> Maybe. Um, do you believe that there are aliens? I have no idea what an alien is, but is there is there life in other forms all over the universe? Sure. Why not? Why assume less when you can assume more? But are they little green people waiting to uh, invade Earth? <laughs> no. no. Who or what inspires you to be your best self? The thought that God would be disappointed if I wasn't. By the way, somebody once asked me that question. Do we take the uh, lifespan? People live to be 900 years old. Is that true? Animals grew to be 20 feet tall. Is that literal? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I rest my case. <laughs> when animals were 20 feet tall, people were 900 years old. That's a good comeback. I like it. Um, you know, we hear the joke all the time. How does a rabbi answer a question by asking another question? And I have to say, I have found your questions to be um, quite intriguing and in making me think about stuff. I like that. It's been 3,334 years we've been studying this stuff. we got to know something. Well, man, you'd sure hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Is there anything you would like to say before you sign off? Don't listen to the fake news. We are getting better. And if everybody does a little more, We'll be home. All right. And what is the name of your YouTube channel? It's good to know.org. Perfect. All right. Thank you for spending your time with me. This Absolutely. has been really awesome. Awesome. Be well. You too. <laughs>